Turn over to Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and good morning to everybody. I was trying to get through and say hi to as many people as I could, but I only made it over here, so I didn't get to say hi to anybody over here, so hi everybody over here, but <clears throat> man, we're, we're continuing our walk through the book of Matthew, and, and things, are, things are intense, and things are interesting. They've been intense. I mean, we've been in chapter 26 for several different messages, and, and really, I mean, just just the stuff that's happening just keeps getting more intense and more intense. You know, we look back at the Last Supper, at the Lord's Supper, where he established that through his blood, there's going to be a new covenant where sins are going to be forgiven and people are going to have a relationship with God. And, and that really is, is the gist of this all, right? Christ is going to the cross so that you and I, people like us, sinners, People that have fallen short of God's glory can have a relationship with the Lord God Almighty, and, and that's amazing. But it was, it was not cheap. Right? It wasn't insignificant. I, I think sometimes we, we really struggle to, to grasp the depth of God's love and the, the cost of Christ's sacrifice and to, to realize, I mean, how immensely we are loved by him. I mean, we are loved by him. You know, he, he leaves the, the Last Supper and he goes to the garden and he, he tells the disciples to stay here and takes Peter, James, and John and he, he tells them, stay here and watch. My, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death and he's got to go pray. I mean, we've talked about that several times, but it's such a critical understanding of what's going on with Christ and what's going on in this battle for the salvation of the souls of the world. I mean, it's not, it's not something he just entered into lightly. It was going to be this huge, you know, cost to Jesus. He even prayed, Father, you know, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. And he talked about the cup being the wrath of God. He's going to become the sin of the world. God's going to pour out all of his wrath that every single one of us and the sins of the world deserve on Jesus Christ. It's going to be indescribably difficult and costly. And, and it's important for us to, to begin to grasp that for our own understanding of our relationship with God. You know, our sins are not insignificant. They, they are not without cost. You know, to know Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior means that he paid that price for us. That's huge for us to understand and to understand that, the man, the little sins in our life aren't little, let alone the big sins in our life. And to begin to have a, a humble understanding of this great love that should compel us then to love him back is critical because far too many American Christians, they're just, they're just so apathetic and indifferent. They're just so unconcerned about sin or about their relationship with God. It's, it's hard to see. I mean, if we're going to walk with Christ, it's a deeper walk than what we want it to be, but the deep walk is what leads us to the depth of God's love. It's not the shallow walk. The shallow walk, uh, that means that we're not that bad and that God's not that good. The deep walk means we're truly sinful to the core 
And God is so good and gracious that we ought to worship him. Amen? So we, we see that, and along the way, I mean, Jesus tells Peter, in particular, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows this very night. I mean, it's kind of this crazy setting because Peter is, is telling Jesus, man, even if all the other disciples fall away, I won't. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tonight. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I won't. I won't deny myself or deny you. And Jesus is like, we'll see. Well, we're going to see this morning. So Matthew chapter 27, or 26, excuse me, verse 69. And I call my message this morning, where does your sorrow lead? Verse 69, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you two are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See that, see to that yourself. And he threw the 30 pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it's not lawful to put them into the temple treasury since it's a price of blood. And they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Sometimes we struggle to fully understand what salvation is and what it means. And I pray that today, Lord, you would clarify some of that for us. That we would recognize that salvation is given as a gift to those who believe. And it's kept by the one who gives it, the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one shall ever snatch us out of your hand and nothing shall ever separate us from your love. I pray that we'd understand that. But I also pray, Lord God, that we'd understand that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ and none other. No matter how we feel, no matter the actions that we commit, salvation comes through Christ alone. And I pray that for those that don't know you here today, that today would be the day of that salvation. And Lord God, I love you. 
And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we do, we find, uh, we find Peter after Jesus had been arrested. And we know that all the disciples fled after Jesus was arrested. And we know that Peter has followed Jesus from a distance. And he's now found in the courtyard of the high priest while they are basically rigging it for Jesus to die right? That's their whole purpose is for Jesus to die. That's what they came together for. That's what they're planning to do. That's what they were going to do. And Peter is followed. And, and we find Peter now sitting outside in this courtyard. But, but what we find about Peter is that he's, he's deceived himself. I mean, there's really no doubt about that. And he's deceived himself because of his pride. And, and it's, it's pretty humbling because you look back at Jesus telling the disciples, all of you are going to be scattered. All of you are going to flee from me. It's going to happen because the scripture said it's going to happen. Stripe down the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. He told them that. And Peter, in his arrogance and his pride, says, not me, right? Now, I know some of us go, well, that's, that's not really arrogance. That's just commitment. No, it's arrogance. It's arrogance. We're going to see it as arrogance today because while you might think sometimes that you actually are that committed to Jesus Christ, the truth of the matter is, is that when we find ourselves in really deep, costly circumstances, that you've got to be ready if you're going to stand for Jesus. And Christ had told him already Right? Jesus went out to pray. He tells Peter, James, and John, you guys stay here and watch while I go pray. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And so I'm going to go pray. You guys stay and watch. And we've read that passage. He comes back and they're sleeping. Right? And he says, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? You know, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. That's such a critical truth for all of us today. I mean, if we are going to actually stand and walk with Christ, and if we're going to confess Christ publicly, if we're going to be used of God publicly, if we're going to actually make a difference in this world in the name of Jesus like we want to. I mean, I don't know of a believer that's sitting in this room today that doesn't want to stand for Jesus, that doesn't want to, to honor God, that doesn't want to confess Christ, that doesn't want to live for Jesus. I don't know one that doesn't want that, but I know a whole bunch, including myself, that if we're not careful, we're just pride, prideful. We're just proud. And we just think that we're going to stand in our own strength. And it's not true. We're not ever going to stand in our own strength. I mean, Peter walks into the courtyard. He walks into the place where the people don't love Jesus. He walks into the place where the people are trying to kill Jesus. He walks into the place where there's going to be a battle for his faith in Christ Jesus. And in particular, there's going to be a battle for him confessing Christ publicly in a wicked world. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of how we live, isn't it? We live in a world where people hate Jesus Christ. They hate the Lord God Almighty. They hate the Lord Jesus Christ. And they hate many times those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's really no doubt about that. If you don't know that, you're not trying to talk about Jesus at any level. Because if you do, there's going to be a huge battle. And there's going to be confrontations. And you're going to have to find out if you're ready or not. Well, we find out here, Peter sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus, 
the Galilean. And so pretty much right away, Peter is confronted with what he's going to do with Jesus. And it says a servant girl, it literally means a little servant girl. It doesn't mean somebody of prominence or influence. It's just this young girl, this young servant, probably of the high priest. And she just looks at Peter and she's, she's kind of wanting to confirm to herself, it seems like to me, hey, weren't you with Jesus, right? Surely you were with Jesus. I've seen you. You must have been with Jesus. And Peter has the opportunity to say, yes. Yes, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. Yes, I'm, I'm with him and I'm, I'm thankful to be, but he doesn't, right? He denied it before them all. I do not know what you're talking about. He kind of plays stupid, kind of wants to brush it off simply, which is the easiest way to do it, isn't it? You know, ah, I go to church, right? But, you know, not, not much more. I don't really want to talk about it. I don't, really, I don't really have to make waves. Isn't that a great excuse? I don't want to talk about Jesus because I don't want to make waves where I work. I don't, I don't want to have a struggle in my relationship with another person. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to be confrontational because, you know, nobody likes the confrontational people. So I'm just not going to confess my love for Christ. Right? Everybody does it. God doesn't really expect us to stand for him. He, he understands that we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. He understands, right? Anybody with me? Because we don't want to put it that way, but come on. Christ is on trial for not just his life, but for the salvation of the sins of the world, meaning Peter and you and me, our Savior is about to go to the cross and become sin, and God's gonna pour his wrath on him for us so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. But we don't wanna make waves. We don't wanna get in trouble. We don't wanna be confrontational. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't accuse me of being a Christ follower. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, verse 71 says, when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And so we see he's, he's made an interesting move. He went out by the gateway this time, which is interesting because he's obviously feeling the pressure. I mean, let's face it, if you're going to stand for Jesus in this world, you are going to be ostracized. Don't think you're not. There is no way to stand for Jesus and not be ostracized. There's no way. I know we would like it to be another way, but there is no way. And so if you're going to confess Christ, which Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. If you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my Father who's in heaven. So there is some real impotence for us to confess Christ publicly. I mean, Jesus is telling us, you and I are to be witnesses. 
And you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. It is the command that Christ left for us before he, before he ascended back into heaven. We are to be witnesses. We're not to want to be witnesses. We're not to think about being, we are to be witnesses, right? Now, Peter has the chance. I mean, he's really at this this apex opportunity. He's there ready to to have the opportunity to say, I'm going to stand with Jesus even if I have to die with him like he said he would. But he's moved to the gateway so he can get away if he needs to because he's not ready for that. And so the next servant girl, she doesn't say it to Peter, but she says it to all the bystanders. This guy right here, Peter, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. And they all start looking at him and the pressure starts to build and his hands start to sweat. You know what it feels like? When your hands start to sweat because now you're going to have to decide. You're going to stand for Jesus or you're not going to stand for Jesus. And Peter, he denies it again, but with an oath. I do not know the man. I'm telling you the truth. I don't know the man. Cross my heart, hope to die. I don't know the man. There's no way I know the man. Take it to the bank. And he's lying. That's called a lie. And it's not just a lie. It's cowardice. It's cowardice. I know we try to make every way we can to, to soothe our conscience, to keep us from having to stand at such deep levels, but it's just cowardice. When Jesus said you should have been praying, he should have been praying. When Jesus said you should be watching and praying because your spirit's weak and, or your, your spirit's willing, your flesh is weak, He should have been hearing what Jesus had to say. You and I should do the same thing. If we're going to stand in this world, it takes prayer. It takes time with God. It takes control by the Spirit. It takes this courage. I mean, a a courage, a literal willingness to stand and fight for who we are and for who Christ is in this world. It takes courage. When was the last time you prayed for courage? to stand for Jesus in this world. We need to pray. So he says with an oath, I, didn't, I don't know the man. Well, verse 33, a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. But then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now it's gone from a little girl confronting him to a little girl who's confronting the bystanders about Peter. And now the bystanders have come and they've looked at Peter and they said, we know, you've been with Jesus. And this time Peter's willing to just kind of throw it all out. This time he starts to curse and swear. Now it's certainly possible he was calling down a curse on himself if he's lying, which he's lying But the way the Greek is written, he could be cursing somebody else. Even some scholars say he could be cursing about Jesus, trying to distance himself from Jesus. And it doesn't really tell us here, but the whole point is, is that I'm telling you, no matter what you think, you can call down a curse on me. I'll call down a curse on somebody else. But I don't know the man. I mean, it's shocking to me. 
But it's, but it's not shocking to me. I mean, it's one of those things where that we actually do in our pride say, I'm not going to deny Jesus Christ. I'm not going to have a problem when I'm confronted about who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love him to the place where it doesn't matter what it costs me. I'm going to love him to the place, even if it costs me a relationship with somebody else, even if it costs me a relationship with my parents or costs me a relationship with my friends or costs me a relationship with my coworkers. I mean, sometimes, right, it costs us something to speak about Jesus. And sometimes, we simply go, you know, God doesn't really want us to have to pay that kind of price. Don't we? Is anybody with me? Isn't that a convenient excuse that God doesn't want us to have to pay that kind of price and God understands our cowardice, God understands our betrayal, God understands. Listen, I don't think he does. I think what it is, is he calls it sin. It's not what he wants. It's what we want. It's not us loving him more than us. It's us loving us more than him. And man, it's a tough thing to see for a guy who's proudly proclaimed, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. But that's what pride is. Pride is a lie for all of us. There isn't anybody in here who is strong in themselves There isn't anybody in here who's going to stand in the face of that type of persecution by themselves. There's nobody in here that's a superhuman Christian that says, I never bend or I never bow. There's nobody in here. Every single one of us is going to battle when we are confronted about our faith in Jesus Christ or when we have the opportunity to share Christ with somebody else. It's a battle every single time. Men, here at the end of this month and the beginning of next month, we're going to go door to door and we're going to do reverse trick-or-treating before we do, uh, before Halloween. And then after that, we're going to go out and do some more witnessing. We're going to give people an opportunity to uh, sign up for a food box for Thanksgiving and try to minister to some people and share Christ. And if you think it's not a battle to go door to door, some of you have already said in your heart and mind, I'm never going to do that. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. I know it's true. Because, man, when we have a big group, we'll have 40 people show up. That's fantastic, by the way. That's about a tenth of the people that usually hang around College Heights. That's about a tenth. Sometimes it's not that many. And we go, well, you know, we're busy. I had other plans. Whatever. Whatever. I don't have to pick on door to door, do I? Been confronted about sharing Christ where you work? Ever been confronted by that? Uh, There's a lot of excuses about why we don't share Christ at work. I could lose my job. You mean the job God gave you? The one who was sovereign and good to give you the job you have? You're going to lose that job? And God doesn't have another one if you do. 
What about with your family? I've shared for years how hard it was for me to witness to my dad. Hard to witness to your family. Super hard to witness to your family. When I finally get up the courage to witness my dad, my dad blows me off, blows me off, and blows me off. Dad, have you thought about when you die? No. Have you thought about where you're going to go when you die? No. Don't you think you'd rather go to heaven than go to hell? I don't care. Well, I care. Beth cares. The kids care. Silence. Well, that was good. Way to go, Pastor Mike. Powerful witness that you are. Right? God's called me to go in and do chaplain at the police department. This is my prayer as I'm traveling from the house to the police department. Lord God, first let me be a holy man. Second, Lord, let me love these people, these men and women. Third, Lord, give me courage. 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 I'm not here for any other reason but to speak. I'm here to speak. So I need to speak. Have I done it every time? No. No. I've fallen short. But I've learned that I can't love these people without speaking. I can't do it. They need me to speak. So why go in there if I'm not going to speak? What's the point? Man, we've got to be ready. Peter wasn't ready. The Bible says, he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. Roosters are kind of annoying. If you don't live in a place where there are roosters and then you get planted in a place where, there, where they have roosters, those things are annoying. They crow all night long. They don't wait till it's time to wake up. Like the little books used to say, they wake you up in the morning, everybody's happy, the rooster's outside crowing, isn't he nice? That thing should die. He tastes way better than he sounds. And I got to tell you, this was Peter's rooster, wasn't it? He wasn't crowing for anybody else that morning. He was crowing for Peter. And that rooster's crow went deep into his heart. Because as soon as he knew it, or heard it, he knew he'd done exactly what Jesus said he would. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And it really does sum it all up to us who really have a love for the Lord God Almighty. And then we find ourselves falling short and failing and denying and allowing fear to grip us. We weep bitterly the first few times it happens. After that, we weep less until we don't weep anymore and our hearts don't care anymore and we live in our sin daily, right? But we should be weeping when we deny him. We should be weeping when we don't live for him. Well, let's go a little further and I'll come back to that. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor and And I love how Matthew's walked through this. Matthew's compared Christ with Peter and Peter's been found failing and now he he comes back to Christ again and 
all the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, have, all of them have gathered now. They've done their kind of mock trial. They've decided he's worthy of death and they confer with all the rest and they say, yep, all of them say he's worthy of death and they bound him and they lead him to Pilate. And next week we'll get into the, to the time of Jesus is before Pilate. But, but truth be told is things are there. Right, Jesus is about to die. And now we read of Judas as Matthew weaves this back together. And it says in verse 3, Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that? Uh, See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. We see this interesting little thing about Judas. Remember, we talked about him a couple weeks ago and how this man was not a follower of Christ, though he'd been a disciple of Christ. How he'd purposely chosen to betray Jesus for money. How he was not ever a believer in Jesus Christ. And how that belief just finally boiled over into the place where he sought out money to betray Jesus. And these guys gave him 30 pieces of silver. But now we see him as he's been there all night. He's watched this trial go on. And now he's watching them bind Jesus and lead him off to certain death. And all of a sudden it says he, he felt remorse. He had a change, if you will, of heart or attitude. He's sorry for what he has done. And so he goes and he he takes these 30 pieces of silver and he says to these guys, man, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood, right? I'm I'm telling you, I was wrong and what I did, here's the money back. I, I don't want this money. This money makes me feel bad. This money makes me feel condemned. Take the money back and, and they go, what is that to us? Which is so shocking to me. I mean, the pure evil of these religious leaders is just ridiculous to me. We talked about the epitome of evil, how they brought Jesus for the purpose of killing him and looked for false witnesses. But now they're dealing with with, uh, Judas and they're the one that sent Judas out. This 30 pieces of silver was their money. This wasn't money from the temple. This was their money. This was blood money. This was money they used to kill Jesus. And they, Peter come, or Judas comes back and goes, man, I'm feeling bad about this. Here's the money back. And they go, what's that to us, man? That's all on you. Take care of that yourself. And then that's what happens to the person that continually, continually, continually hardens their heart because they see themselves as purely righteous and never, never sinful. It's an ugly, horrific thing to think that you're always right and never sinful. It's a terrible thing. Destroy your heart before you can even blink an eye. And so then it just, in a very unceremonious way, tells us that Judas threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed and he went away and hanged himself. And you're like, it's just, it's just ugly. It's just heartbreaking. It's just crushing. I mean, the end result is no hope, no peace, 
no life. Death. We read, and I'll come back to Judas again in a minute, and we read of these self-righteous, blind, wicked men who couldn't be more ungodly in their self-righteousness. They actually look at each other and say it's not lawful to put these silver pieces into the temple treasury since it's the price of blood. And they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. And I'm so offended by this attitude. Here they are, they've spent their money to purchase the death of Jesus Christ by Peter betraying him. And now they're self-righteously saying, well, we can't use the money for God's purpose in the temple. That wouldn't be godly. And so they go out and they buy this field, this potter's field. And the potter's field literally is where Judas hung himself. We know that from other scriptures. But it was an ugly place. I mean, to read about the potter's field, it was located near Gehenna. Gehenna was the valley just off of Jerusalem where they would throw all the city's trash, where they would throw dead animals. Sometimes they throw dead bodies in there. It was a place where Jesus often compared that to hell, where the fire never quenched and the worms never die, right? It's a foul-smelling place. But down there by Gehenna was a place where the potter would have had his place because there was a lot of clay, good clay, to make pottery, oddly enough. But man, once Judas has hung himself in the potter's field, the potter doesn't want it. And so these guys take the money and they buy this field down by Gehenna where it stunk and there was smoke and there were bugs and gnats and maggots. And they said, how about we buy a, a place where we can bury strangers? And by that they meant those who weren't Jewish, criminals, and guys like Judas. We'll make a place for these wretched people right down here in the nasty part of where we live. And we'll call it the field of blood, which it remained during Matthew's time and maybe still till today. But what's so obvious about this is that it had to take place again. We've read it several times. Verse nine says, then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the 30 pieces of silver and the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, meaning the 30 pieces of silver for Judas. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. And in all of this, even these wicked men in their self-righteous rebellion are bringing to pass what God said had to come to pass. And God's working even above and beyond and around and through even the most wicked in that society of that day. But what about Peter? We left Peter weeping bitterly. What about Peter and his rebellion and what happens to him in this proud denunciation of Christ? And what about Judas? What about Judas in this seemingly remorseful attitude that he had that changed his mind about the money and he went to give it back? What, a, what about what about these guys? How does this look? I mean, this is so important for us to understand because quite honestly, we want, we want everybody to end up in heaven. Don't we? Don't we? 
Don't we want our neighbors to end up in heaven? Don't we want the wretched person at work to end up in heaven? I mean, I don't know about you, but I want people to end up in heaven. What, is it, what, is it, what does it take? What does it look like with these two men? I've already told you about Judas. No, not a good man. Well, let's see, because there's a verse, passage of verses that are important for us at this particular time. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. It says, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Now what Paul's talking about is written to the Corinthians, this letter that just pointed out you're living in sin, you need to repent. If you don't repent, man, God's judgment's going to come and discipline is going to be difficult and, and he didn't want to have to write that and yet he did and when he did, it brought them to repentance. It was part of God's will for them to hear this conviction, this sorrow. But then in verse 10 it says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. In other words, there's two kinds of sorrow. There's two kinds of sorrow that takes place in this world that you and I need to see. One leads to salvation, one leads to death. And I don't think there's a better comparison in all of scriptures than the ones we have before us. I mean, the apostle Peter, man, he had already confessed You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He had already said, I believe in you, Lord Jesus. And Jesus' response to him was, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus has already said to Peter, man, you know who I am by the grace of God. Now he's already acknowledged who Peter is, but what does Jesus say about Judas? Well, back in John chapter 6, 70 and 71, long before we're at this point now, Jesus answered them and said, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Jesus has already said, Judas, you're a devil. There's nothing about you that's good. It's not going to end well. Back in Matthew chapter 26, verse 24, Jesus said, the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Jesus is saying of Judas, the consequences of your rejection of me and betrayal of me is such that you would have been better off had you never been born. You're going to be judged because of your unbelief, right? Now here we have Judas. He has felt remorse. He's felt regret. He's had a change of mind. He's actually doing whatever he can to try to appease his conscience, He's actually taking some steps. He's thrown the silver back into the temple. Man, he's gone out and he's hanged himself. I mean, he's feeling so bad about his life and who he is and the choices he's made. He just chooses to take his life. But there's not a shred of evidence that he ever repented and confessed Christ. 
because he didn't. I mean, there's a, there's a huge difference. There's an eternal difference between the sorrow that produces repentance that leads to salvation and the sorrow of the world that leads to death. And the difference is Jesus. Do you understand? The difference is Jesus. You can feel bad about what you've done as an unbeliever. You can feel bad about hurting somebody else and try to repent. You can feel bad about the way you've treated God and somehow try to do something to appease that with God. But if you don't come to Christ, you're going to die even with your sorrow. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's only one way to eternal life. There's only one way to forgiveness of sins. That's Jesus Christ. He's about to go to the cross. And these guys are struggling. Man, Peter's struggling. It's been embarrassing to him. It should have been embarrassing to him. It was humiliating to him. It should have been humiliating to him. But he had a faith in Jesus Christ. And it was his faith in Jesus Christ that makes the difference. It's Christ. I know so many times we want it to be us. I'm better than he is. I'm better than she is. Man, I do better works. I'll show you how bad I feel about my sin. I'll go do more works. We, we think sometimes it's us that depends, that determines our salvation. It's not. It's Christ. It's Christ alone. For by grace are you saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by faith in Christ alone, right? Right? But so many of us, we're still struggling with that. And you've got to determine what's your sorrow over. Is your sorrow because you've fallen short and you want to make yourself better? Or is your sorrow because you've sinned against the Savior that you love? And look what Jesus says to Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-one and 32. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that incredible? Jesus knew he was going to fail. Do you think Jesus knows we're going to fail? He does. Do you know that's why he died? Because we're sinners that can't save ourselves. After Christ rose from the dead, the disciples find him. They've been fishing. He's on the shore. He's fixing breakfast for them. After they eat, in John 21, 15 through 17, it says, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Man, you know, right? Peter's heart just sank. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Do you see the difference? The difference is, man, Peter had a relationship with Jesus, and yes, he, he fell, he sinned, he sinned grotesquely. He sinned shamefully. 
but because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't take things into his own hands. He went out and wept. His heart repented. When he came into the presence of Jesus after his resurrection, he humbly then, not proudly then, heard the master say, do you love me? And he had to say out loud, I do. Knowing inside, oh, it's hard to prove to you. It's hard to prove I love you when you know what I did. But to hear the Savior say, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you hear, you hear what he's saying? I know you. I know you love me. I've given you life. So you, in your repentance, now serve me the way I called you. Man, there's a sorrow that's according to the will of God that leads to salvation. It's the sorrow that leads us to repentance to Christ, to say to Jesus, you're the one that forgives. You're the one that gives life, and I need you. That's what Peter had. The remorse and the regret that never led back to Christ and faith in him led to death. An ugly, broken, empty death. Listen, you have to decide who you are. You have to decide. Are you the one that feels bad about some sin, but you're not going to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? You're going to maintain that somehow you can make yourself better. You can take some steps to make yourself more righteous, more pleasing to God. You can handle this, but you're not going to in any way bow to Jesus Christ. Are you the one that's willing to say, I know that Jesus is God and became a man and lived a sinless life. And then he willingly laid down his life and took the punishment that I deserve for my sins. And he rose again on the third day and he is the only one. He's the only one I can come to and find forgiveness in life. That's what salvation is. Salvation is saying to Jesus, you're the one, here's my life, save me. And when he does, nothing will separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus and no one will ever snatch you out of his hands even in all your brokenness and all your frailties and even through all your sin, he will not let you go. Salvation is a work of God that is eternal. Hallelujah. Anything less is no life at all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word your word's good. Your word is powerful. Your word is true. And it does resonate with our hearts and it resonates with our minds. And I pray for those that are here that have never trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior that, Lord, your spirit is convicting them, bringing godly sorrow to them. And I pray that their sorrow would lead to life. I pray for those who know you as their Lord and Savior who've already been convicted about not standing and not caring to stand and not wanting to stand. 
that you'd convict us and lead us back to Jesus. Renew our love for you, Lord God, so that instead of being worried about us, we're worried about you and how we might please you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, I'm thankful that salvation is your work on our lives. It doesn't depend on us. It's offered freely to us. And that once you've begun a good work in us, you'll be faithful to complete it. I'm thankful for that. And so, Lord, do the work that needs to be done here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.